This is Talk of the Town, where interesting people talk and London listens. Joining me this morning on left, right, and center, two gentlemen who are no strangers to this audience or this studio, and it's always nice to have them here, and uh, we usually have a little fun one there together, too. Gil Warren joins us, and Robert Matz. Good morning. Good morning to both of you. Morning, Jim. I want to uh, take a look at an issue this morning that may or may not fall into a left, uh, fall strictly into a left, right, and center perspectives, but it's one that I think all three of us are interested in, and I would like to get your thoughts on it, and that's the issue of political responsibility or politicians' responsibility, to put a little finer point on it. Uh, what do politicians owe us in terms of, uh, you know, we elect them to do such and such a job, and what is it reasonable to expect from them? And I'd like to maybe start with the, uh, at the federal level, with what's happening with Defense Minister Eggleton right now. Uh, he's got a little Eggleton on his face lately, because the, he, the, the allegations are, and there's an investigation underway, that he deliberately misled the House of Commons when he was telling them the details of uh, Canadian peacekeepers capturing people, uh, Taliban fighters in Afghanistan, and turning them over to the Americans. There's some discrepancy over the dates of when he said and what he said and so on and so on. Yesterday, the, uh, his briefer from the Defense uh, um, Department, uh, Vice Admiral Greg Madison, uh, testified uh, pretty clearly and straightforwardly, and one assumes he's got the paperwork to back it up because these, uh, these uh, uh, military bureaucrats always do. Uh, I'm sure he's got the briefing notes that he told Mr. Eggleton several days in advance of when Mr. Eggleton said he knew this information. Uh, it, this, in some parliamentary regimes in Great Britain, for example, would be more than grounds to boot his butt out of uh, at least out of the uh, out of the cabinet. It isn't likely it'll happen here because Mr. Kretchen doesn't do that. He, he either just leaves them alone or promotes them out. Um, that's his style. That's what he does. But. I, I thought maybe that's a good place to start. And 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 Gil, I'd ask you first. In a you know in a in a representative democracy, which we we try to ensure that this is, it isn't always, but we try. Um, how much slack should we cut, Mr. Eggleton? As I think that just before I I let you answer that, there's there's two things I that I see to consider here. One is everybody makes mistakes, you know, and and if you fess up to your mistakes and get on with it, no problem. But it appears that he not only made a mistake but didn't fess up to it. That he tried to cover it up as long as he could and finally got nailed and had no place to go. Um, what should happen to uh, Eggleton or anybody else? I don't care what party it is or what government it is. I mean, should he step down or should the prime minister kick him out of the cabinet? Is that uh, sufficient? penance for what he's done? Well, <clears throat> I would argue that he should resign and uh, that that is the honorable thing to do here. And uh, it is clear that either he, he, he lied or he was not paying attention when he was briefed. And, and he's a minister of defense and they were briefing him about a war situation. He should have been understanding what we, he was being told. So right. either way, he, he uh, misled the House and he should resign. And and that used to be the rule. <laughs> I'm, you know, yeah. when I was a kid, you know, yeah. the minister did that, he was gone. Unfortunately, with this government, it's not the rule. And and uh, and I think that's part of the part of the reason for that is that it's a vast majority government, and and uh, they think they can do whatever they want. And in fact, we had Galliano, I think, a, f a few weeks ago, in trouble, and and he got this cushy job. <laughs> Somewhere yeah. in, in Europe, Denmark. exiled yeah. to Europe. Yeah. But, 
but he gets a cushy job. Uh, uh, but I think that we have to get um, uh, accountability back into government, both provincial and federal. And people, if you're the minister, you're responsible for what goes on in your ministry. And I think it's outrageous that he misled uh, the House of Commons. And I think that he's going to have a hard time surviving this inquiry, and he probably will eventually resign. Bob, what, uh, what's your take on it? Is it the responsible thing for him to step aside? Some people say, yeah, I, well, it's I, easy to say that, but now then we lose a man of great experience and blah, blah, blah. Well, of course, we don't all know every single fact and detail behind what, why he did what he mm -hmm. did. He might have some superb reasons for not telling us, mm -hmm. and, and I mean, this is sort of a war situation that we're talking about, not domestic affairs. Um, but as a general principle, yeah, if somebody, if somebody is is proven, or you know, beyond a certain reasonable doubt that they've been misleading the House, lying to the public, sure, I think it would be the honorable thing to do to resign. I don't think there's actually any law on it. No, though. there isn't. And, you know, as a general rule, you know, if, when you ask about what, it, what is the general responsibility of politicians to the constituents, it's basically to do what they promised to do during the election, and nothing more and nothing less. Um, unfortunately, you can't deal with every issue during an election, and you have different politicians of different parties voted in who are moving in totally opposite directions. Mm -hmm. So t how you can measure the results of what a politician does is very dubious one of the undertaking, one of the, to say the least. One of the things that's, that's been raised, and we talk about it a fair amount, uh, particularly when elections loom, is the pressure that politicians are under. We set aside our, our prejudices or our, or our concern about, you know, their, the number of lies that fly around during campaigns and so on. We set that aside for a minute. But there's this issue of people putting themselves under that microscope. But I know people, and you guys probably know people too, who might consider running for an office, except for the fact that they're just not prepared to go there. They're not prepared to to, to uh, drop their knickers in front of the press, uh, figuratively speaking. They're not prepared to have their families investigated and all the rest of the stuff that goes along uh, with that. It, have we, and there, w there was a time when that did not happen. I mean, we, John Kennedy's probably the classic example. What we know of John Kennedy today is absolutely scandalous in terms of his private life when he was president, but nobody had, there wasn't an inkling of that in the press at the time, even though the press knew it now appears. Many people in the press knew that he was a, quite a womanizer. Uh, but it, there was a tacit agreement that that wasn't germane to his job as the president, and we're not going to talk about it. Well, today, of course, they'd talk about it like crazy. Mm -hmm. uh, d do we ask too much of people when they throw their hat into the ring? Were we better off when the press focused on their political lives and left their, their personal lives alone? I think so. I think it's a matter of balance, and I think in the 60s, yeah, uh, people as politicians had a right to a private life, and I think that was right. I mean, the, the, the standard that they should be judged by is their performance as a politician doing the job of being prime minister or president. And if they make an error in policy, or if they make an error in judgment, or if they lie to people about, about uh, policy, then they should be accountable. But, so what we've got in, in the 60s, we had this system where you had a private life and that was allowed but you were accountable for your political uh, mistakes and, and lies. Now we have a system where there's this incredible media spectacle of everybody has to be investigated back to their great-grandfather, and at the same time they're not responsible once they make some kind of mistake. So <clears throat> that's where we've lost the balance, and, and I think that uh, there's a number of reasons for that. I mean, look what they did to Clinton in, in terms of the media going after him, and <clears throat> much of that was driven by the Republican right trying to get the guy out of, out of office. And, and it just was unnecessary because as a, as a president, Clinton was doing not a bad job compared to some others. So I think <clears throat> we need to, to move back towards the system we had back in the 60s. I think the other reason that we don't have the responsibility from politicians that we used to have 
is that both federally and provincially, election after election, we've had these majority governments built up with minority support from the people. Like you could get elected with 45% of mm -hmm. the popular vote, 25% of the actual number of voters, because a lot of people don't vote because they're uh, apathetic now. And, and these people get not 75 or 80% of the seats. And I think one of the real solutions here is proportional representation, similar to what they have in, in Europe. Mm -hmm. And that would create more minority governments. If, if what had happened with Eggleton was in the context of a minority government, uh, his <laughs> minority partners would have said to the Prime Minister, get that guy out of here, you know. And, and so that's where we can get more accountability if we had a system of proportional representation. And Canada is like one of the last two or three countries in the world that doesn't have that. And I think that that would be a pressure on a government government and eliminate these these majority governments that are unresponsive where you can just sort of be as prime minister of canada the king and do whatever you want and who cares whether your ministers are lying it doesn't make you any know, difference a, the phrase was used the other day and i quite liked you you're, you're a constitutional dictator right mm -hmm. there you go that's you know, it you, yeah. you have to follow the constitution for sure but beyond that you do what you want mm -hmm. bob uh, what about this issue is that part of you think of the lack of responsibility well, that we, we create I'm, these these powerful governments that really don't have a, a power base I, i'm sitting here in shock that that I agreed with every single thing Gil just said. <laughs> I think that is a first. I'd, I agree with his conclusion as to the solution of the policy. I, I agree with his analysis of the problem. Um, to, take it, to take what he said a little step further, uh, you talked about how we put our politicians under the microscope so much on, on their personal character mm -hmm. and their life, and I agree with Gil. There's a little balance there. I mean, character matters. But what should matter most is policy. Because one thing I've learned about dealing with people in media and politics is none of them are perfect. They're all individuals. They have vices. They have their problems. They have drug problems. They might have alcohol problems. But some of them, regardless of what those background issues are, some are good politicians and some are bad. Mm -hmm. And you can't just divide it on the basis of that. You can certainly bring it up if it becomes an issue relating to the fact that a person's a bad politician and then if you know if you've got an alcohol problem and he can't stand up straight in front of the parliament mm -hmm. or something that's an issue but well, until it wasn't with john a mcdonald no <laughs> <laughs> but uh but if he's a criminal he's done yeah. some yeah you know, if he's if he's robbing the people of money well let me ask but you, you see just yeah, i haven't sure. finished my point <clears throat> so what we have now is a public that because it's so confused about so many of the issues and doesn't understand the policy and the philosophy behind the issues it it they, we, people depend more on the character of the candidate so that they can put their faith in him mm -hmm. and trust him to make the right decisions for the things they don't understand. And that's a great danger because then you start having an uninformed populace in a democracy <laughs> voting for people may perhaps for the wrong reasons and and that's a danger you just have to be well, aware of you know there's a, there's an, another element perhaps to although it's tied into what both you said another element to the uh, to the uh, how much should we know about their private lives and it came to light recently when there was a uh, and I don't want to get into because it it's not important but there was a an appointment in the government of a gentleman of a particular uh, particular uh, sexual persuasion and uh, and I was talking to one of our callers who phoned and said uh, did, you, did you know that this guy was such and such involved in such and such and I well yes and it's very he's very old well he's a homosexual mm -hmm. let's not beat around the bush uh, it's uh, Bill Graham the new minister of whatever he's what is he minister of whatever foreign affairs foreign affairs thank you and uh, he's an uh, open homosexual and that's fine and he's been elected his constituents know all about that and that's not a problem for him this lady phoned and said you know, I've been a liberal supporter for many many years had I even dreamed that they would promote a homosexual into that position, I would not have supported the party. Now, we can argue that, that she's being discriminatory and shouldn't be that way and perhaps need to broaden her horizons a little bit. But I thought she... she, she but, but she raised an interesting point, though. Her, you know, she wants all the information available about 
about the candidates out there. She wants to know if the candidate has something shady in his or her past or something that she considers shady, whether the rest of us consider it or not. She feels that, or felt that, made the point very strongly, that that information should be out there and, and that, that we should have access to all of that before we are asked to make decisions about the individual or the party we're going to support. You know, again, that's an example of what I was just talking about. I think she she's the one making the mistake. She's choosing a candidate on on irrelevant, uh, unless she has she wants to see legislation, you know, made against homosexuals. Mm-hmm. That's probably the only reason that would be an issue. But uh, that's the wrong reason to even think about supporting or not supporting a candidate. Well, what about the argument? Uh, say he say it wasn't about his sexual preference. Say he'd had a uh, 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 some kind of criminal charge against him. Oh, in the that's past. significant. That's and that's and a and whole other issue. And that on. and that had not come out. And people say a lot of people say, well, he paid his debt to society, and it's over, and psh, never mind. And this is a new and new day, and a new dawn, and, and on he goes. Well, they can say that, but you put that in front of the public and uh, let the public decide, and let the public decide whether it's. A significant enough issue. I mean, even with what everything that was done with Clinton during the height of his mm-hmm. um, scandals, it didn't seem to affect public opinion at all. Yeah, but I think, yeah. to, to my mind as an observer, that was a that was one of the most stunning societal aberrations I've ever seen. The way the, the American people reacted to what they knew about this guy and what I they what, what they did as a result. I mean, yeah. still inexplicable to yeah. me. But it, but it wasn't because Clinton was producing as a president. I mean, there was good economic times. Uh, he'd reduced ta- taxes and reduced the deficit. People in the United States as voters were judging Clinton on his on his performance as a politician. Oh, I don't I'm not so sure. Here's a guy who uh Here's a guy who not only embarrassed himself, that's fine, embarrass yourself, embarrassed his wife, and some people say his wife's a barracuda and deserved what she got, I don't know, but fine. But there's no way that his daughter deserved to have to get up every morning and face an America that wa- in which her father's sexual peccadilloes were being discussed in such detail, largely because he denied it for so long. If he'd fast up, it probably, you know, yeah, okay, fine, it probably would have gone away. Like, I, I have no respect for the man. I don't care what kind of president he was. He's a bum. Anybody who'd do that to a, to a child, particularly to a daughter in that situation, is a bum. And I, I still... And don't, don't forget the, 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 the whole issue as it was brought up was just the tip of a large iceberg that the that the Republicans were trying to get at. Well, I, I won't argue yeah. that, and I certainly won't argue that it was, you know, more politically than morally mm-hmm. driven, perhaps, but it wasn't so much about that. To me, it was just the way he handled it, I thought, was particularly with the teenage daughter. How do you put your daughter through that? But I don't, he, he, was, he didn't set out to put his daughter through. No, he the didn't. The media seized upon it. But he could have, at the number of but times, I, he could I have think, made a difference. I think what we need to look at here is is um, the politic, p- political system of today, and 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 what is it you know uh what's expected of politicians and another problem that i have is the way that politicians uh in the mainstream parties liberals and conservatives jump back and forth between the government sector and the private sector like literally then you know they quit as a cabinet minister one day and the next day they've got some big corporate appointment mm-hmm. you know on they're on the board of directors and they're they're actually on the company that they were regulating just days before that's an, another thing that's undermined public confidence in in politicians and certainly politicians today i mean the respect people have for for politicians is is much lower than it used to be and i mean nurses and firefighters are far far ahead on that and 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 part of the problem is that uh, this this sort of thing is allowed that people are perceived as opportunists who are getting into politics to build up their name and, and power and, and then get this cushy government job. Uh, 
not a government job in many cases, but actually a private sector job. And like Mike Harris is resigning. Can I predict that he's <laughs> going to go on to the board of directors of some big company? Well, look what happened to Ernie when he, re- when yes. he you know, yeah. the money starts rolling in. And then, the pu- you know, there should be laws that say it has to be a few years before you can take those sort of jobs. And, and of course, to be fair, your friend Mr. Ray did the same thing. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I would apply that same, same law <laughs> to Mr. Ray. We're going to pause for a moment or two. Lines are open, too, if you want to join us. 643-1290, star 1290 in the Rogers AT&T. It's left, right, and center with Bob Metz and Gil Warren today, and it continues after this. Informative? You bet. This is Talk of the Town on 1290 CJBK. It's left, right, and center with Bob Metz and Gil Warren, and Susan's been waiting. Hi, Susan. Hi, right, good morning. Um, I, you know, I would never miss out on an opportunity to uh, vote for a nurse retired or practicing, I, I would just comment that um, it's interesting that uh, the polling shows that that's about a high level of uh, credibility mm-hmm. that different occupations um, yes. yep. generate. Um, I'd also point out, uh, in this current parliament in Canada, the highest number of new members of parliament came from municipally elected positions. Mm-hmm. They were municipal councillors. So I'd suggest if you really want to um, scrutinize what the potential is out there for who we are going to be electing mm-hmm. federally. Uh, the largest pool of successful candidates yeah. uh, seems to come from local elected office. Yeah, so good point. And, 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 it, and it appears in the next provincial election we're going to see a bunch of people do, doing that same thing. Well, and what it means is people can, uh, with little cost and effort to themselves, pay very close attention now. Um, you know, people don't get charged a fee at the door like uh, a movie theater mm-hmm. to go in and watch what uh, members of council do in uh, public debate or during committee work. Oh, that's a good point. Mm-hmm. And it's not pay-per-view. You can see it for free on TV. S- that's Susan. exactly it. S- Susan, you, you said that you would vote for a nurse? That you'd, you'd Absolutely, I'd now, vote for a nurse. What would you do if all three parties fielded a nurse for, for their candidates? Beyond jump for joy and get a second job, yeah, a third well, job to donate to all of them, <laughs> to donate to all of their campaigns to get the best kind of tax break no, I, I could I, ever I get. I think no. The, the point Bob's trying to make is, is it, yeah, isn't that a little limited though? As a criteria for voting for I mean, someone. I'm a big. Oh, oh, I'm no, a big. I'm sorry. I didn't mean I've never cast a vote for a candidate because there haven't been nurses running. I didn't mean that. No, no, no. But I mean that. But that wouldn't be your, that wouldn't be your only criteria. Um. If I were looking at occupational, um, all I'm expressing is that it's a pretty solid skill set based background for someone to come from. Fair enough. Susan, appreciate the call. And uh, Dave's up. Hi, Dave. Go ahead, Dave. Hello? Yes, sir. Go ahead. I was saying, like before, like, uh, you only get what you uh, vote for. Well, I vote every every time there's an election. A lot of people have died for me to do that. And, but. You can only vote for the people that say uh, the guys around here, and then when they get to uh, like City Hall or uh, Ottawa, and they say, "Well, we got to go to party policy. We got to do this. We got to do that." Like Anne Marie, I asked her when last time she was uh, up, that why don't we uh, have a, a referendum, five votes on the bottom of every ballot here, and then uh, you know five things going on around here that uh, we get to vote on them. Mm-hmm. But uh, she said, no, 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 we don't want uh, that kind of stuff going on around here. Like they do in Ohio. I'm a transport driver. Yep. When I'm down in Ohio, like every vote, there's five issues that yep. they put on the bottom of every of yep. everything. Yep. But you keep on saying sometimes that, oh, you voted for these people. I didn't vote for these people. But I have to go by what the majority says, 
And even most of the majority said, even when they bought Harrison, like, he's gone too far. What can we do about it? You can't do nothing about it. Good point, David. Appreciate the call. You, right, you drive safely out there. Ken's up next. Hi, Ken. Hello, Ken. Well, we've lost Ken. Uh, well, see, D Dave's point, you know, is basically, it's it's a basic thing about democracy. If you if you don't vote with the majority, you don't get what you want. I have never in my life voted for a winning candidate, and I voted for every single party on the political spectrum at some point. And but but you know, there's you I, know, I, that, so that can be frustrating. I understand it, it can point. be frustrating, but I think that the, the 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 truth is that the opposition parties at times in Canada's history have had a great influence on the government. We've seen uh, we've oh, agreed. We've certainly seen the NDP uh, the talk about Gill's people. We've seen them bring forth social legislation that ultimately has been adopted by both conservative and liberal governments across this country. Uh, we saw a lot of some of the policies of the uh, Reform Party being adopted by the Liberal Party. So there's still a place for the second well, finisher, but it's not a necessarily an influential that's place. That's the macrocosmic look, but on the microcosmic look, which is what Dave was concerned with, how he felt satisfied where his vote went. He yeah. just felt it wasn't there. So what he yeah. needs what he needs is proportional representation. I, I'm just going there. Okay, <laughs> because let's say that what Dave is a supporter of the Dinosaur Party. It doesn't matter, right? Mm -hmm. And that the Dinosaurs only got uh, 50,000 votes across the country in the last election, you know, 1% of the vote. If he were in, in Holland he would have got an MP. Mm -hmm. and, and it doesn't matter that the guy doesn't live in London, he would live in Toronto, and at least Dave could go phone him, you know? Mm -hmm. And so Dave would, ha and Dave would see that guy get up in the House of Commons and raise Dave's issue. And I think that for both the, the, the left and the right, uh, a proportional representation system, it would create more parties, and it would allow more... And it, when you voted, if you didn't... And what I'm arguing for is a 50-50 system, 50% MPs in writings and 50% PR. Then uh, at least one of your votes would go for somebody who got elected. And, and I think that that would get a, a, away from a lot of the uh, alienation that people like Dave now, have. Now, well, you know, the, 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 the quick and facile response to that is, well, look at Italy and look at Israel, you know, mm -hmm. endless coalition governments and how effective is that and is this really the solution? Those, those arguments have been refuted hands down by how? many authors. Um, well, look at the rest the, of, the, the rest issue of is not, Europe. The issue is not the process by which they elect people to parliament. The issue is that all the people they elect share the same philosophies. So you're going to have the same problems. There's, there is no choice there in terms of the types of choices we have here. It's the, everybody there is much more government-oriented, much more state interventionist. So it doesn't matter whether you've got the communists, the fascists, or the conservatives, or the liberals there. They're almost all the same. There's just little slight nuances between them, and it's a mess. You know, when you regulate the economy and when you do things like that that we know shouldn't be done, um, what do you expect? But I think the point that you bring up about it Italy and Israel is that you've gone to the most extreme examples of PR to point out that it doesn't work. My argument... Not only that, they're not pure PR either. Right. My argument would be that it, you need to look at the rest of Western Europe mm -hmm. where, where PR is in Holland, it's in Denmark, it's even in Scotland and Wales now in, in, in the National Assemblies. And... Uh, I, the European Parliament and all those institutions work and there's all kinds of different forms of PR and I'm not going to put forward a particular model I'm just mm -hmm. saying that we could have a Royal Commission and investigate the best one the Europeans not just the Europeans but in, in many other parts of the world have developed uh, systems that work and uh, and so Italy and Israel are irrelevant they they got themselves into a system that doesn't work they should change it there's also a, you just look at israel as a political entity there's just incredible divisions there yeah. you know and uh, but pr does work and and when you don't hear about it <laughs> it's working right 
and the occasional time when, when and in fact, there was a public meeting two weeks ago at the at the Central Library organized by the Council of Canadians that I attended. They had a panel of experts, including a political science professor from Holland, as well as a German consul, consulate uh, person from Toronto, mm-hmm. and they described their systems and and they work and they're simple. And, and, and they are an effective way to get minority opinions into a government and, and get a, a responsive government that is, that is more democratic. And that, that's my argument. The government we have now is not democratic enough. My, my issue, what, the reason I support, I, I, I don't really support proportional representation for the sake of proportional representation. I support the single transferable vote, which was postulated by John Stuart Mill back in the 19th century. And how does that work? Well, basically, it's a little more complicated than what we're used to, and you wouldn't get your voting results on the next day. You'd have to wait two or three days, and that's that's been said to be the biggest thing against it, which I think is irrelevant. We can wait three or four days. Well, sure, we could look at the Americans Uh, waited for months to find out who the president (laughs) was. Exactly, but what you have is, instead of having one candidate per riding, you have larger riding with a with with a given number of candidates, say London got five seats or so, and the parties can run one candidate if they want. They can run two, but the voter gets to, gets to choose on a list of progressive scale, like who his first choice is. Second, he doesn't have mm-hmm. to make a second choice or mm-hmm. third choice. He can, so that that will give more weight to the first choice. But as each candidate comes in, as they are elected, they recount the ballots again and they go to people's second choices, so that you make sure that you get the most representative thing. But the issue isn't so much getting the proportional representation. It's not perfect, but it's way more proportional than what we have now. It's to give the voter the maximum amount of choice when he goes to the ballot so that he never feels that his vote is wasted, because it never is under that system. Let's go to the phones where John's waiting. Hi, Jonathan. Yes, good morning. Yes, sir. Yeah, I had a comment on this proportional representation. I, I, I think that sounds really nice in theory, but that's not the problem in Canada. What is the problem? The problem in Canada is that the the MPs, no matter how you elect them, have no power. Like somebody said, we have two houses of parliament. One is unelected and one has no free votes. That's the problem in Canada. It's not, not proportional represent, representation. You could have all the proportional representation you want, but if the MPs had no more power than they have today... Well, my, my, argument, my response to that would be that they do have lots of power. They choose not to use it. They're, 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 you know, they, they get a lot of perks for not using it. And under PR, they would choose to use it more. Well, I, I, yeah, I disagree with that because party rule would still rule in PR and even more because who sets the list of candidates? Well, well party rule should rule. You know, that, I... I when some when a candidate joins a party, the implication is that they agree with the philosophy of that party and the direction that party goes in. It's the only efficient way that the voter can even make a choice in, in which direction someone's going in. And in order, when you're in a party, that, that gives you the power and the unanimity that you need to carry a majority vote. But yes. That's the only way it's going to work. I can't think of any other uh, but it, discipline. It, well, it, it doesn't work like that in the States, and their system is fairly successful. In the States, you have to convince each individual. Uh, there's a certain amount of party solidarity, but they don't have whips. They don't have the kind of pressure that are brought to bear in our MPs here. If the president wants to do something, he's got to convince every individual congressman and senator true. to follow him, whatever their party is. And why, why is that, Jim? Can I jump in on you here? Yeah, well, why is why that? Is that? Why? That's because they have an executive branch of government that's distinct from yes. the legislature. Yes. That's the problem in Canada. Yeah. It's nothing to do with proportional representation. Right. It's that the executive branch of government is all-powerful in this country, and that's, there's no checks and balance on the executive branch no. of government. Very good point. John, we're out of time, but I do thank you for your call. I You're appreciate welcome. it, sir. I agree with Jonathan on that point entirely. Um, just because we're talking about PR doesn't mean that we don't realize there's other issues at stake. And, and if I were to give a priority to which is the most important, I'd agree. 
I'm, I'm all for the separation of the executive from the legislature. It's a, it's a check and a balance for the citizen to protect I'm the I'm still citizen. waiting for the day when Cretchen shows up <laughs> in the House of Commons with a big uniform with medals all over it, you know? <laughs> the big gold epaulettes in the hat. <clears throat> Ooh. <laughs> I'm the boss. Do not forget it. I want to thank our guests, Bob Metz and Gil Warren, for joining us on today's edition of Left, Right, and Center. Always a pleasure, gentlemen. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first today. Uh, well, yeah, actually, it was. I'm going to write this down in my book. Bob and Gil agreed on almost everything. Uh, just one f- very quick final question. Uh, do you think we're going to see any changes in the next little while? Do you think there's any public will to change it? Yes, I do. I, th- the meeting at the mm-hmm. library had a uh, 100 people there. And uh, there, there is public pressure building across the country. There's a coalition now that runs across all parties, left to right, pushing for por- proportional representation. And, uh, and, the, and the, the point that people need to know is that in Europe, uh, with these small parties, there, there isn't the party discipline as much. There still is party discipline, mm-hmm. but, but in, a, in, a, in a coalition government, there's a really good incentive for people to start voting properly. And Bob, you, you see this happening anytime soon? Um, not really. I, I agree that you, there might be 100 people coming out to a meeting. There has been that kind of interest in PR for about 10 or 15 years that I'm aware of, and it really hasn't coagulated with the public because it seems too complex for them, and they're looking for very simple solutions, straightforward vote, you know, winner take all. Yeah, the program. Yeah. Gentlemen, thank you both. Appreciate okay. it very much.